I wonder if you wonder, friends, if you're living your best life. It's one of those questions that we might ask maybe in the middle of the night when we can't sleep or when we wake up before the alarm clock and our mind begins to roll, maybe scrolling through yesterday, maybe looking ahead to today, wondering what's coming, wondering where we're at, what we're doing, what are our priorities. This is a crazy mixed up world that we live in. How are we living in a way that's making a difference? Now these last few weeks we've been looking through Matthew at some missional teachings of Jesus that you and I ought to be out there engaged, right? Sort of on the front lines, living our life in a public way, demonstrating the difference that the love and compassion of Jesus can make in our lives. I want to continue this quest uh, on mission in Matthew. You know that I love Matthew's gospel. We've been having a great time as we've worked our way through here, and we're going to be in here for a good part of the summer. So if you're looking for a project, if you're looking for something to do to occupy your time, might I recommend reading the gospel of Matthew in one sitting? Now that'll take you, depending on the speed at which you read, somewhere between 60 and 90 minutes. But doing that will give you the breadth of Matthew's teaching. And you'll see how he organizes his material and some of the thematic ties. We'll look at some of those in chapter 10 today. But uh, it's great to see the whole rather than just the parts. But in Matthew chapter 10, I want to share with you first the context, and then I want to look at the punchline, kind of like this is the theme, this is where we're going, and then back up and see maybe how we arrive at that conclusion. But first the context. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, we read that Jesus summoned the disciples together, and he chose 12, and he appointed them as apostles. Last week, we looked a little bit at Jesus' choice of those particular people, and maybe some of the thought process behind it, as Jesus was evolving in mission and choosing people to embrace the mission with him. Now, in verse 5 of chapter 10, it says, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. So everything that we have in Matthew chapter 10 is Jesus' instruction to the original 12 disciples. And it's like we have the privilege of listening in to a conversation that occurred behind closed doors. In fact, everything up to chapter 11 and verse 1 where we read, Now when Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and to proclaim the message in their cities. So those markers, those contextual statements in verse 5 of chapter 10 to chapter 11 and verse 1 are like bookends that everything that we have in chapter 10 is Jesus' 
private conversation with the first 12 disciples. But in the midst of that, I believe, as we read our way into the text, we find out in listening what it means to be a disciple and how we arrive at our best life in discipleship to Jesus. Now here's the punchline. In chapter 10 and verse 39, it's the summary. It's it's the theme of chapter 10 we see. Jesus saying, those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This whole idea of losing and finding our life reinforces to us that you and I find our deepest and our truest selves in discipleship to Jesus. It's a value statement, really. Jesus is telling us, choose this over that. It's a matter not only of value, but also of priority. As Jesus leads us to self-actualization in the best way possible. So how do we get there? How do we get to the place where we choose the life of Jesus, discipleship and mission over every competing entity in our world and in our life? It's a process and not always an easy one. In fact, Jesus said it would begin by stealing ourselves against adversity. Now, what do I mean by that? Look with me at chapter 10 and verse 16. Matthew says, recording the instruction of Jesus, See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And about that time, Thomas, Matthew, Judas, Peter, John, James might be saying, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not sure this is what I want. But Jesus is saying to them that, look, guys, I'm enrolling you into the school of the Old Testament prophets, and you all know that wasn't a really good gig. God came to the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Micah, and he said to them, look, I'm sending you out to a stubborn, obstinate people, so prepare yourself for adversity, for persecution. Jesus says in verse 22, and you will be hated by all because of my name. Wow. Sounds like a tough assignment. Jesus is preparing them for the worst possible scenario. We've seen the necessity of doing so in recent times, haven't we? We've seen the necessity of getting ready and of preparing ourselves for a future that's uncertain even now as we near the end of June and the beginning of summer with all of the festivities, what's it going to be like? What can we do? What can't we do? It seems like Alameda County is at the very 
end of the pack. These have been difficult times. We've learned, right? We've had to draw on parts of ourselves that we didn't even know that we had. It's just like that as we follow Jesus in discipleship and in mission. We need to prepare ourselves for adversity. Jesus says to them, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher. If Jesus experienced rejection and persecution, ridicule, and the scorn of popular opinion, we might need to prepare ourselves for experiencing the exact same thing. I mentioned earlier how Matthew weaves some of these themes into the fabric of his narrative. If we go back to Matthew chapter 5, it begins for us the Sermon on the Mount. This beautiful, idyllic portrait of Christian character. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. But then verse 10 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of false evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Again, Jesus brings it back to a value or a priority statement. You've chosen this over that, and your reward will be great. The suffering, (coughs) the challenges that you experience in this life will be well rewarded in the life to come. Therefore, we, like the original 12, can get ready for this difficult assignment. Following Jesus might not be the easiest decision that you make. But according to this text, it's the best one that you can make. So it begins by steeling ourselves against adversity. It continues in overcoming worry and fear. Here's another one of Matthew's really strong themes. We are in chapter 10, verse 26. He says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. Have no fear of them. Think about in your life your relationship to other people, and how much of that is colored by worry and anxiety and fear. Fear about what other people are going to think. I was having a conversation with a friend just this week. And I confided in this person that I have entire conversations for other people. Isn't that nice of me? I think through how they're going to think about what I do. Isn't that ridiculous? 
I have zero control over what other people think and feel about me. And at the end of the day, you know what? It really doesn't matter. To heck with them if they can't take a joke. This is my life. And I'm going to live it according to my priorities, my values, my convictions, and the way that I am following Christ. I'm not looking around to see what you're doing or what she's doing. All I want to know is what Jesus is doing in my life as I follow him as closely as I can. Don't worry, he says, verse 30 of chapter 10, even the hairs of your head are all counted. Maybe you've been counting them through quarantine. You haven't had an opportunity to get them cut. Maybe you've cut it yourself. Maybe you shaved it. Maybe you don't have any at all, which makes it easy. Even the hairs of your head are counted. He says, so don't be afraid. You're more value than many sparrows. He said earlier, not a sparrow falls to the ground. Again, this is the language of the Sermon on the Mount that Matthew's tying into this instruction that Jesus is giving to the disciples. In Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He concludes verse 34 of chapter 6, Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Right? Easier said than done, however. I know. I understand. I have that low-grade, anxious buzz within me that all of you have. I have real worries about my life. I have real fears and trepidation and anxiety about what's going to happen next, what's coming around the bend. I don't know. This is 2020. We have no control over our lives. Every day is a brand new adventure. We get to see what God is doing in the world, and it's not what we expected, right? It's always different, always exciting. So just buckle up. Settle in for the ride and know that God in his infinite wisdom and grace is mindful of your life. God cares for you. Don't worry about other people. Don't fear them. Don't think about what they're thinking. Maybe they're not thinking at all. And at the end of the day, friend, live your life. Follow Jesus in a way that makes sense to you. Read the text yourself. Interact with it. Pray your way into it. Write out questions it raises. Do your own work. Don't wait for me to tell you what to do. God has placed his spirit in you as a comfort and as a guide. So don't look 
from side to side. Look straight ahead. Stealing ourselves against adversity, overcoming worry and fear, and now lastly, identifying with Christ above everyone else. And this, it gets tricky. Verse 32. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. What you think of Jesus, how you value him in your life, is incredibly important. Jesus says, if you've got me, I've got you. But if you don't, you're on your own. That's how it works. That's stern, right? That's stinging. And Jesus is talking to the original tribe, the 12 disciples that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And he's saying, this is how it's going to be. Are you with me or are you not? It gets worse. Verse 34, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Hmm. Idyllic, nativity, angels, shepherds, heaven comes down, peace on earth, goodwill to men, Jesus gentle, Jesus white, Jesus, Jesus meek and mild, maybe not so much. How about Jesus, the moody, dark-skinned, Palestinian Jew, saying, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does that mean? Verse 35, I've come to set a man against his father. Happy Father's Day. Hate your dad. I've come to turn a daughter against her mother. Verse 36, one's foes will be the members of one's own household. Jesus comes into our life and divides our loyalties. And it's like Jesus is saying to the twelve, pushing back on them, who's most important in your life? I hope it's me. I hope you're not still caught up on your folks or on your kids I hope they're not the best thing in your life. Wow. Takes me all the way back to 1992. You might remember it. George H.W. Bush, the father of George W. Bush, wants to be a two-termer like Ronald Reagan was a two-termer from 80 to 88. So he's running for re-election. And his vice president is Dan Quayle. And Dan Quayle's the guy who introduced the term family values. I hope you remember that. The news headlines were all about what? Murphy Brown, this fictional character played by Candace Bergen, who is a single mother and a news reporter, full-time choosing to have a child by herself. Dan Quayle pointed that out 
and said it was an affront to the good old-fashioned family values that we prize so much. You can't have a family without a father. They asked H.W. about it. He said, I don't watch the show. I don't know. I don't care. Don't ask me about that anymore. But it continued to resonate with us, didn't it? And we had this divide about those who stood for good old-fashioned family values and those who were progressive and weird and liberal and said that anyone could be a family. My God, haven't we learned a lot since 1992 about what and who constitutes a family? That a family is people who choose to live together in love? That's what it means to be a family. And these family values that were so highly rated in the traditional realm, Jesus comes and affronts directly. Here's your family values. I want you to hate your father. Hate your daughter. How do we do that? It stings. What does it mean? Verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy to me. Identifying with Christ above all others means following him in discipleship and in mission, and prizing that relationship above all others. Remember the acrostic, I bet you learned it in, in Sunday school, joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and you. Christ comes first. Matthew 16, 24, then he told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. A verbatim quotation of Jesus' instruction to the disciples in chapter 10 and verse 39. He's calling us to identify with him in a radical way that supersedes every other relationship in your life. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Following Jesus means forsaking creature comforts. Following Jesus means embracing the great and the grand adventure of life unfolding as we follow after a mentor and a friend, someone who's got our back. We find our deepest and our truest self in discipleship to Jesus. And I contend to you that we can maintain beautiful loving family relationships at the same time, it's not a choice. 
When I read this, I see at first blush it's a choice. And my mind goes to those obnoxious religious people, right? Who have some sort of conversion experience, usually later on in life. And ever since they did, they've become the biggest pain in the you-know-what. It's all they want to talk about. It's all they want to sing about. They are <clears throat> so heavenly-minded that they are of no earthly good. That's not what Jesus is saying. But you have to be an idiot or a jerk or someone that no one likes because you're always being so offensive and confrontational. Simply saying, put me first. Like the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> Chapter 6. Mm. I'm, I'm going to lose it, but it's somewhere. And I'm going to sing until I find it. He says in Matthew 6, 33, Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seek the kingdom first. Make Jesus number one. Everything else literally falls into place. That's what we're talking about. Finding ourselves, our truest, deepest self, in discipleship to Jesus and on mission with him. Let's do it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace.